Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am your satisfying conclusion host, Abraham. And I am your righteously angry host, Shane. Beautiful. We're a psychology podcast. We talk about the things that people do and why they do them. And that's kind of why we named our show, Why We Do What We Do. You found your way here. I hope that you have been enjoying everything you've heard so far. If you're joining us for the first time, this is the final part in a series that we have been doing where we're discussing facilitated communication. I do encourage you to go back and listen to those previous episodes if you haven't, but there is a lot in this one that is going to stand on its own. Just know that in the first part of this, we talked about essentially the history of facilitated communication and what it is. And the second part, we walked through the experiments and the science and the research that has been done that talked about how you would determine whether or not facilitated communication, how it works, if it works, and on that sort of thing, where I think we landed very clearly on the fact that in every experiment that's ever been done, they were able to show that the facilitator is the one who is doing the communicating and never the person that they are supporting. Then we also ended on the facts with many of the claims and like the sort of statements that people have made in support of facilitated communication and how harmful those have been because they will they describe as sort of staking the the moral high ground where they sort of say we're the ones helping these people out when in fact they're the ones who are causing the harm. So I think that's does that feel like a, an adequate summary of what we've discussed so far, Shane? Yeah, I think that, that covers it. And then we're going to dive into part three today, which is going to kind of it's going to take a turn. We'll say. Yeah, it's well, I think we kind of took the turn in the research, but this is going to go it's going to go hard after the implications of all of this. As a quick warning for people coming into this episode, there are going to be some discussions of harm that are described people who receive a lot of harm and sexual abuse. So if that's not something that you're willing to listen to, you might want to set this one out. But we do our best to handle this gently. So listen at your own discretion. Before we do that, we should sort of, you know, if this were a race, before we, we want to engage in that race, we might take a little sip of water, eat an orange slice, pat each other on the back, do some stretches. And our form of doing that in audio form, an auditory way, is that we're going to talk about the fact that this episode publishes on April 5th. Yes, which is National Walking Day, which I think is good for everybody. Yeah, go take a walk. Well, I mean, I don't personally enjoy walking. But I do it when I can. Oh, I enjoy walking. But, you know, to each their own. Yeah. But maybe just on this day, if you're not much of a walker, go out and take a short. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. basically what it's saying is just go outside. Enjoy. Enjoy some time outside. You know, another name for going on a walk is a peregrination. Uh, I've never heard that term in my life. <laughs> that is a bonus vocab for the show. <laughs> that we get a little jingle for. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's going on a walk. It is also National Caramel or Caramel Day. There were pictures of like caramel candies, and I think that it, it was calling them caramels. But whatever way you want to say that, that's it's a national day for that. Yeah, it's also National Deep Dish Pizza Day, which uh, mm-hmm. I know is a point of contention for some people. I am I'm fond of deep dish, but I'm also fond of any pizza. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to go wrong. But deep dish is pretty. It's pretty 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 good it's sort of like peanut butter it's like you just want peanut butter it's it could take multiple forms right. ideally it's crunchy sure. but you just want peanut butter right so like if you like pizza then like thin crust stuffed crust deep dish whatever it's pizza like just enjoy it sure exactly 
And obviously have your preferences. I don't like pineapple on pizza and you know, there's lots of things that I, that I like, but it's, you know, it's pizza. So yeah, everybody's got their thing. Everyone's got their thing. That's like the, the only other thing that we disagree on. I like pineapple on my pizza and I don't like mustard. And I know you prefer that. So this is, that's a, those are things that we discover over the three or four years that we've been doing this five years. Yeah. Eight years. And I think it's fair. I think I'll acknowledge right now. I don't think I'm right about this. I just don't like sweet and savory combined most of the time. Sure. I'll try anything. But like I have had sushi, for example, with strawberry on it, and I will never try. I may never try that again. Fair. But I've had sushi with mango in it. That was okay. And so it kind of just depends. Like I've had combinations that I thought were better than others. I just tend to not prefer that combination. So yeah, reasonable. I swear we're talking about a psychology related topic. The next day that we have to to, to acknowledge is <laughs> it is hospital admitting clerks day. So when you go to a hospital, the person that checks you in, they're doing work. They're helping you out. We want to acknowledge that pe- those people. Yeah. Be nice to them. Yeah. Be nice to them 365 days or in some cases, 366 days. But, you know, celebrate them today. Indeed. It's also Child Help National Day of Hope. Yeah. This is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing awareness of and recognition of child abuse and neglect. And so if you're interested in that nonprofit, you can, I didn't really look into it. I just saw that it was their day of hope. So I thought I would share that here. Sure. I like that. Also go for broke day. And that has to do with, if you might imagine the picture on the the day that I saw celebrating this was someone pushing a bunch of poker chips in, but I think it's this, it was described generally as the thing that you have been making excuses not to do go do it today. I like that. I like that. Yeah. As far as months go, it's autism awareness month. So big deal, big deal. Celebrate autism, our friends with autism and, you know, understanding that there's a lot that is entailed in that, that diagnosis for many people in there, Mm -hmm. but let's just, you know, recognize that that's what's going on. A lot of people I think actually do not very know very much about it. So if you don't maybe go learn something about it this month. Yeah. Agreed. It is Prevent Child Abuse Month, which I think is very important. I think that goes hand in hand with the Child Help National Day of Hope. So yeah, yeah. no more child abuse for April, please. And I mean, ever, yes. <laughs> ever hey, again. Hey, ever, ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> starting yeah. starting now and never again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Also, it's National Garden Month. So another another great thing to celebrate. People like gardens. People like vegetables. Grow some peppers. Yeah. April seems so positive and wholesome based on yeah, this. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Caramel and pizza and walking and people who help you at the hospital and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Now I just want a pizza garden. <laughs> a pizza garden. Amazing. Yeah. See, this is innovative ideas here. Okay. As I said, we've been talking about facilitated communication. I think in our summary, we described what the episodes have been about. But in case you missed those, I think a quick overview of facilitated communication is that you have an individual who often has a neurological or developmental or intellectual disability that has never learned to engage in communication in a a particularly robust and effective way. And in most circumstances, that person would go through several comprehensive team of people who are therapists that help them develop their language so that they can communicate. Sometimes that's with sign. Sometimes that's with assistive communicative technology. Sometimes that's with speech production itself. In facilitated communication, what the person comes in is they put their hand on the person's hand and they help them type out a message on a keyboard by moving their hand around to peck out keys. Or as we'll get into talking about a little bit more today, they might instead move that board underneath their finger and have them, they'll move around so that their finger like lands on a, on a letter or a keyboard or a iPad or something like that. And the idea inside of this is that the person who is who is has the pointer finger on the key, if you will, is authoring the message and that the facilitator is just helping them control their motor movements so that they can author that message because the hypothesis embedded in facilitated communication is that these individuals have all of the intact cognitive function that would be needed to engage effectively with communication, but their motor coordination has prevented them from developing that outward expression of that language. And so the facilitator just helps them focus their energy sort of the way that they might describe it. And I'm trying to be as charitable as I can here in in that description, but that is essentially, I think, how it is outlined. And in the experiments that we talked about, as I said, what we saw is that the facilitator almost always unknowingly is the person who is actually controlling all of the, the messaging that comes from 
the person that they're facilitating for, and that the person who is receiving the facilitation is not authoring the communication at all. And we even played some audio clips where we had a teacher who she tried to do her own experiment where she said, well, I'm just not going to look at the keyboard. I'm just going to sort of look away or close my eyes and just help them sort of, you know, keep their hand steady while they, you know, type on the keyboard. And it was just a random string of letters and characters. So essentially, just the kind of the black and white, the nuts and bolts of it are that we are talking about learners who have some kind of developmental or intellectual delay, cognitive delay, something to that degree. They've never demonstrated the ability to communicate. They've never been able to show signs that they're communicating in in some way. And we are working with essentially vulnerable people. And so just to kind of set the set the occasion for that, we are working with vulnerable people. You have facilitators who are the ones who are have been found to be the people communicating in these kind of dyads that are part of the facilitated communication paradigm. Right. And there are currently zero scientific studies that show quantitative data that say that this works. That was an important piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important piece. There are lots of anecdotal reports. There's lots of qualitative reports. I want and I say lots. What I mean is there are several people that say this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are anecdotal reports that say this works, but there are no quantitative data to support those qualitative reports. And at that point, that kind of sets the stage for this next part where on the surface, it might seem like, okay, somebody's communicating and or this facilitator is helping communicate and they're helping this person kind of like say some things when they're really not and all that. And it seems like on the surface that might be harmless. However, what you're going to find is, and this is kind of the turn that I was talking about before, which we've yeah. been leading up to, is this gets incredibly dangerous, life-threatening to the point. And, and, and just, just there's a lot of stuff to unpack as we go through this next episode. That was such a good setup. Yeah, because the question that might come up is, what's the harm? So maybe the facilitator is the one doing the communicating. No big deal. What's the harm? You know, maybe this is just part of the treatment they receive in addition to the other things. Who cares? Now, as you said, one of the important things here is that these are people who are not doing the communicating. They cannot advocate for themselves. They cannot argue against the facilitator in these situations. Like they don't, they don't have a voice and their voice is actively being controlled by somebody else. What voice they do seem to have, which they, again, they don't get to have because it's being controlled by someone else. Right now, the implications here are what has happened with people who have been communicating using heavy air quotes there. Cause they're not actually communicating, but the individual who is receiving facilitated communication services, what has been the outcome of that. One of them is that we have these using facilitated communication, these non-verbally communicative individuals have gone to college. They've even gotten advanced degrees. They have written books. And what they've also done is revealed egregious histories of trauma, exploitation, and abuse, presumably. Because again, remember, they're not the ones communicating. Although when these allegations happened, people thought that they were. Yes. And I think this is this is probably a good time that I could share like a, a story that I have had specifically watching this happen. Yeah, please do. I was working with a learner and he was about 30 years old and he was using facilitated communication. And when I came in to provide services, one of the things that they wanted to work on was communication and they wanted me to do facilitated communication. And I said, absolutely not. This learner had indicators of understanding language and responding to questions. They had responding behavior. Like, so I could ask them to go do something. They could go pick something up and hand it to me. Like I could ask them to identify parts of their body. They could do that without a facilitator. What ended up happening was they had this one very specific facilitator. This facilitator would help them communicate, quote unquote. This person had no, like when they would type, they would usually type strings of sentences by themselves. But when the facilitator was around, they would, and this person didn't have any like gross motor movement issues. This wasn't like somebody with cerebral palsy. This was somebody who had a different diagnosis and had no problems with like gross motor movements. Yeah. And also too, I would like to point out this learner that I worked with was about my size, six foot three, about 300 pounds at the time. So he was bigger and aggressive, incredibly aggressive when anybody would touch them, like did not like, except for this facilitator. Okay. Well, the facilitator reported to the group home staff at the time that the learner had reported significant sexual abuse from another staff in the house through the facilitated communication. Okay. Through the facilitator. So they typed this out. Yes. Yes. The facilitator quote unquote aided this learner in typing out that, that one of the other staff of the house had abused him. So immediately this staff member who was working in the house was taken out of the home, not allowed to work, which in, in, in the case of like reports and allegations, sure, that's okay. 
Yeah. Removed just in case to be safe for everybody to be safe. Yeah, I get that. They did an investigation during the time that they were doing the investigation. This staff member had to move out of his home because his family was upset that this was something that he would be accused of. He had a special needs daughter at the time, was not allowed to see her under court protections, like under protections because of all this. And she was a foster. She was a foster child. So like Ooh. also lost the ability to be almost lost the ability, uh, the ability to be a foster parent. Okay. So like significantly impactful. He was not allowed to go to work. So he basically lost his job during the investigation and they found that there was no no abuse there were no physical signs of abuse there were no indicators of abuse they they did all the medical workups to figure this out okay there were no signs of abuse and then it came out later that the facilitator was the one that actually accused him of this because she disliked him so much and thought that he was a sex offender okay yeah that makes a lot of sense then just as the things that we've said did it ever come out that she admitted knowingly typing that communication or she just said yes oh, okay so she was like i'm a hundred percent gonna use this person as a puppet to get this guy in trouble yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah and she ended up losing her job uh yeah i mean this uh, that's what i'm saying is like that's i mean that is my direct experience with this her specifically saying yes i i'm the one that typed this he couldn't have typed that himself da 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 and then she was charged with filing a false report and she's not allowed to work with special needs learners anymore. If anyone has, uh, who's listening now, listen to the first episode. I did that sort of made up story at the beginning with just the best story time jingle. Really? Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Justin, for that. <laughs> and it was this made up story about a person who was communicating with the dead using a Ouija board. That was almost the exact setup. And I didn't know your story yeah. at the time that I made that up. That's the first time I've shared that. I'm going to use this person as my puppet to accuse somebody else of these allegations. And the reason that I brought that in is because your example is not a one-off. No. Now, in many of the cases, the facilitator will say they didn't do this on purpose. They were not trying to maliciously cause harm, as in the case of your person, who knew that they were the one doing the message. In many of these instances, the facilitator thought they were just helping the person communicate and just type. There was a famous story about a facilitator named Janice Boynton. She was working in Maine in 1992 with an autistic girl named Betsy, who was 16 years old at the time, and she was non she was non speaking, so she was not engaging in in the production of speech for communication. And through the facilitator, it came out that again Betsy supposedly, but again the facilitator was doing the communication. But through the facilitator, there was accusations toward both her brother and her father of sexual abuse toward her. Okay. Now a speech pathologist did this whole experiment. Like we described last time with Betsy and with her facilitator Boynton, as we described in the last episode, just showed them two different pictures and basically said, okay, so you type whatever you see. So it shouldn't matter what you, again, just repeating what we said last time, it shouldn't matter what you show the facilitator. If you show a picture to the person and they can communicate for themselves, they're going to type whatever they see. But in every single instance, they only typed what the facilitator saw mm -hmm. and not what Betsy ever saw. And so they were able to show that the facilitator is the one who actually made those accusations against the father and the brother. And it was not Betsy, the little girl. And again, no evidence of this. Right. Now, this goes further, and I think it's important to, to understand the impact this has. And uh, Janice Boynton has gone on to officially just say, absolutely not, facilitated communication is this horrible thing. It doesn't work. It has become a vocal critic of this, and specifically has worked to kind of speak on behalf to like discuss like against this. But other situations like this have happened where a child with or a learner with a disability has accused somebody this way using facilitated communication accused somebody else of molestation to the degree that you know one facilitator even gained consent quote unquote consent from her non-communicative partner through facilitated communication that facilitator was eventually accused of rape because the person could not consent they basically said, the facilitator said, oh, this person has given me consent to engage in a sexual relationship with them right. through this facilitated communication piece when they found out that that was not the case. Okay. There are a number of these stories, and they get worse. So <laughs> to prepare you for this, let's take a quick ad break and then come back and listen to us try not to cry. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, so we're back. We have been talking about some of the implications of facilitated communication. So let's let's go into the worst story that I found in talking about facilitated communication. So there is a story of a mother who was actually found guilty of manslaughter as a result of this. Her eight-year-old autistic son, through facilitated communication, had made some statements that he wanted to die. And basically, she justified helping him pass away, we'll say. She justified it through the fact that he said it through facilitated communication. Was she the facilitator in the situation? She was. Yeah, that was, again, one of the tragic parts of this is because the messages come from the facilitator 100% of the time. That essentially that meant and most of the time in most of the cases, particularly early on in facilitated communication, as we said, the facilitator did not know that they were the ones authoring the message. They felt like they it was coming from the person. And so that meant that on some level, the facilitator is communicating their own thoughts and feelings through the person for whom they're facilitating. So essentially, when she found out about facilitated communication, I can't imagine what that felt like for her. Yeah. That would be so difficult to live with. So I I feel for her. I really do. This was a horrible, horrible thing that happened. I obviously feel even worse for her son, Mm -hmm. who was on the receiving end of this. These are not isolated stories. And I think it's I think it's important to know that this is how far this can get. And I'm sure there are plenty of stories, too, that we show that you could show where it's like minor. Like, I don't want to say minor because I don't think that any sort of harm towards a vulnerable population is minor. But different instances where somebody is taking advantage of somebody who is using facilitated communication, right? It could be as simple as, oh, you're going to, you're going to sign over your ability for me. I'm going to be your repayee or repayee, right? So I'm going to be responsible for your finances. Yeah. I'm going to be responsible for your living situation. So now I can move you away from your family and isolate you further. Yeah. There are so many ways that this can go wrong. And I think it's, again, we're not talking about augmentative communication devices where somebody can type out their communication, where they can communicate independently, where they have the ability. We're talking about specifically facilitated communication and how dangerous it has been for a multitude of people. Yeah. And I think I'm already feeling the the take-home points I want to land on boiling up within me, but yeah, exactly right. The harm is extremely real and it is profound. Mm-hmm. And, and also, as, as we've said multiple times now, the instances as far as exploitation are numerous there's sexual exploitation, there's financial exploitation, there's all kinds of exploitation going on. The accusations, it is relatives, uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, staff, grandparents whose lives have been ruined. They have served jail time in some instances, lost their jobs, been ostracized from their communities. It is wildly, wildly impactful um, in how it's gone. And particularly when you consider that it is not the person's wish at all to have those things happen in, in these instances. So in the history section, we talked about this. You already saw that the story that we talked about took place in 1992. This has been around for a few decades, right? So it's been around the block and disability services and advocates know all about this practice. And 
almost every organization that knows about this has come out with strict statements opposing facilitated communication. And this is not from the fringe. This is this is not from a select group of vocal opponents. This is across the board. So to paint the picture clearly, we're going to list every organization that has come out against facilitated communication. Right. Now, I will say that as I was kind of looking at this list, there are a couple organizations where I'm like, ah, but like, you know, and, and we don't need to get into like the problems with those organizations. Yeah. There are very few. That's fair. But that's, there are different issues. But what we will say is they've missed a mark on some other issues, but this one in particular, they've done a pretty good job on. So the first one we're going to say is the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. And this specifically a quote from them. Studies have repeatedly demonstrated that Facilitated communication is not a scientifically valid technique for individuals with autism or mental retardation. A little bit dated on the on their languaging. Yeah. In particular, information obtained via facilitated communication should not be used to confirm or deny allegations of abuse or to make diagnostic or treatment decisions, end quote. And that's from the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. From the American Academy of Pediatrics, quotes, current scientific evidence does not support the use of facilitated communication in which a nonverbal individual is guided to communicate. This this differs from augmentative and alternative communication, or AAC, in which the individual is taught to communicate independently, end quote. Important point there. Yep. And now there are a whole host, and this is the list of, of all the other organizations that are coming out to oppose this practice. And I think, again, it's really important to understand that one organization coming out and saying, ah, stand against this, that's one thing. When you have multiple organizations from different disciplines that are saying this, yeah, I think that is pretty damning. Time to listen. So, time, yeah, check this out. So, there is the American Association on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. There's the American Psychological Association. And there's the, uh, the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Specifically, what they say is facilitated communication is a discredited technique that should not be used. There is no scientific evidence of the validity of facilitated communication. And there is extensive scientific evidence produced over several decades and across several countries that, that messages are authored by the quote unquote facilitator rather than the person with a disability. Furthermore, there is extensive evidence of harms related to the use of facilitated communication. Information obtained through the use of facilitated communication should not be considered as the communication of the person with a disability. That's directly from the American Speech Language Hearing Association. That's not behavior analytic. That's not psychological. That is from the speech folks that are working in this space, too. Yep. We also have some more organizations that have come out with statements against this, the Association for Behavior Analysis International, the Association for Science and Autism Treatment, and the Autism and Asperger Forbundet, which is the Autism and Asperger Association of Sweden. Yep, there's Autism New Jersey, Autism Speaks, Behavior Analysis Association of Michigan, Canadian Pediatric Society, the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders, Syracuse University, and Heilpädagogisch Forschung? Yeah. I'm guessing that's German. That looks German to me. Uh, that looks German. That looks that looks some kind of European for sure. Yeah. Information Autism, International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication, or ISAAC, Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, IASLT, and the National Autism Society in the United Kingdom. There's also the National Council on Severe Autism, New York State Health Department, National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, New Zealand Ministries of Health and Education, and the Ontario Association for Behavior Analysis Incorporated. And finally, the Scottish Intercollegiate Guidelines Network. Then we have the Speech Language and Audiology in Canada, or SAC, and the Speech Pathology of Australia. And I'll just go through the last two, Victorian Advocacy League for Individuals with Disabilities Incorporated, and the World Federation of Occupational Therapists, or WFOT. Oh, I mean, I think, again, this what like what I'm going to go back to saying is that you've got a united front among multiple professional organizations that have outwardly spoken against this particular thing, also citing the same research and the same articles going, hey, look, we have proof time and time again that this does not work. And also clarifying that they're not talking about augmentative communication devices, which is a yes. different thing. 
very important difference. And I think we should actually just talk about that here in just a moment. Suffice it to say right now that I think that the, that is largely national and international organizations. We did not even list many of the regional sort of like local chapters and associations of different organizations that have all, would also have come out against this. So I, I think this list is a actual relatively small fraction of professionals who have come out to, to specifically take the time and say, this is not acceptable. It is not approved. It is not evidence-based. It is pseudoscience and it is harmful. Yes. And again, it's one thing if it's one organization, you've got consensus across multiple disciplines, multiple countries, multiple. I mean, you have consensus here. Yeah. You have scientific consensus here. Okay. So think about that and maybe don't listen to the ads that are about to play instead. (laughs) 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 Or do listen to them so that they give us money. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see you in a minute. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, a really important thing has happened in facilitated communication, because as we described, those studies came out and they were extremely damning. It actually pretty much shattered the field of facilitated communication and institutions that were using it, practicing it, and teaching it, and they had to pivot and rebrand because, as we said in the first episode, when there is blood in the water, you will find sharks, and these sharks are not going to leave their food behind, which in this case is their payday, just because someone came along and said, "You, what you're doing is fake. They're like, no, we're we're going we're gonna to stick to our guns. This is our livelihood you're talking about here. I shed no tears for people who don't get to do pseudoscience anymore because they found out their practice is harmful and have to find a different job. But nevertheless, they did find a different job. The institute that we described, I'm going to call them out again because I want to make sure we're really clear that they don't get away with this. The institute where a lot of the training originally had taken place was started as the Facilitated Communication Institute. It has not changed at all, except that it changed its name to the Institute for Communication and Inclusion. So just know that is still a Facilitated Communication pseudoscience hotspot of production, if you will. (laughs) Yep. But other names have come out because when that happened, they started trying to justify it oftentimes by simply changing what they changing the practices a little bit and sometimes just changing the names. So some other names that this goes by now, but it's the exact same process is supported typing, saved by typing, and informative pointing. So these have very sort of flowery and sciencey sounding names, if you will. Informative pointing sounds sciencey. The saved by typing sounds, you know, all warm and fuzzy. So those are those are some names. Yeah, it's an appeal to emotion. Yeah. Yeah. There's also intuitive pointing, there's spelling therapy, and there's rapid prompting method, which is, I think, the one that stands out the most right now. I hear that one more than anything else. That's one of the most common. So if you hear rapid prompting, that's just facilitated communication. Spelling to communicate is another super popular and common one. So if you look for that as well. And then there's assisted typing and letterboarding are also names for this. Yep. There's also supported decision making, which, you know, I guess sign me up because I can't make decisions. There's also hand over hand, which I think is interesting. They've co-opted some terms from other sciences. Yeah. There's motor communication and arguably the creepiest one speaking with eyes. That is creepy. Now, that doesn't mean that like gaze can't like, you know, like when specifically like eye gaze can't be used to help communicate. Like that's that's something that can there are, I believe, some studies that show that that can work and can be supported and helpful. Yeah. However, speaking with eyes, <laughs> not so much because they're just doing because they're doing again, they're doing facilitated communication under the guise of something else. Now, the other thing that's important to understand about how this has changed a little bit is that there are still people who do straight facilitated communication where their hand is on the learner, the learner's hand and they're guiding them around a keyboard. That still exists. Rapid prompting and spelling to communicate. I, I definitely know this is rapid prompting. I think spelling to, to communicate does the same thing where instead now what they do is they the person holds a stylus or a pointer finger and the facilitator moves a letter board or keyboard underneath their finger. It'd be sort of like on a Ouija board, you have the planchette that's supposed to move around the board. And in this case, the, the, the planchette stays stable and the person moves the board instead to land on letters to communicate. Right. It's almost more egregiously 
<laughs> the the facilitator, right? Like, the like obvious that a facilitator making it, but that's how they decided. Like, well, okay, your problem is we're touching the person. I'm not going to touch the person. I'm just going to move letters underneath their steady finger and stop on on the letter to say that that's the one that they chose to spell out their message that they're communicating. So rapid prompting is facilitated communicating, except instead of moving their finger, they move the board underneath. Which I would like to take a second to point out, like, wasn't the original issue that this stemmed from the fact that somebody couldn't control their motor movements? And so what the facilitator was supposed to do was help manage the motor movements so they could independently type like this is not managing the motor movement. That's a good point. It's the opposite of what they were kind of arguing to begin with. Like, I think that's I think it's. And arguably, that's what happens with pseudoscience. That's what happens with sometimes a very specific religions and cult as well, where <laughs> it's a moving goalpost. Yeah, exactly. It's a moving I was going to say that. Yeah. It's, 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 you go, oh, oh, is that your problem? Well, we're going to change it and then get the same results, quote unquote, and do the yeah. same thing, quote unquote. We're going to call it something different. And that's how you end up with different cults and different spaces where the rules change, the guidelines change. That's how you end up with Scientology, where, oh, we had these levels of, of being clear, but now there's like 18 other levels once l ron hubbard died right that's the same thing that's happening here where the goalpost is moving and they're calling it the same thing or they're calling it something different but it's it's essentially the same thing with still no scientific backing yeah that's that's a very important thing now another way that this is looked and this one's the hardest i think for people to understand why this is facilitated communication but there is one where they also try really hard to they touch the person very little and they also move the keyboards and letters very little if at all but what they're doing is they're sort of cueing the person what letters to choose and tap by by sort of doing like they'll react to the person's movement to sort of help them land on a letter. This is a reference that's going to reach only a very small segment of our audience, but there's this episode of Rick and Morty for people who are fans (laughs) of Rick and Morty, Uh not to spoil it. Sorry if you're haven't gotten here yet, but Morty gets this death crystal and the death crystal essentially allows you to see how you could die. But essentially what that means is every decision you make changes what your future path could be. And so you can use that to make decisions in the moments that are going to guide you toward a death that you might want. Like for example, when you're very old as opposed to being very young. Right. And so what Morty, he's trying to end up with this one particular girl that he likes. And so he's every decision he's making, he's going through and he's like tailoring his, what he says and does based on the feedback he gets from the crystal in the moment. And so, so he's like sounding out words. He's like, ooh, uh, re, re, and he's like, really <laughs> slow, like making word sounds until he lands on the one that gets him the outcome he wants. So anyway, this it's kind of like that in the sense that in, in this, what the person is doing is they're sort of leaning, moving, cueing, winking, looking. They're reacting to the individual's movements to guide them. It's actually identical to the effect in the Clever Hans episode that we did talking about about, which is not to say that I'm comparing these individuals to horses, but what I am saying is that people can learn to pick up on very subtle cues without necessarily knowing that they're they're using those cues to shape someone else's behavior. So like you, uh, th- I think the, a really good example of this, maybe much better than my Rick and Morty reference is if you have a partner that you've been with for a long time, you will start to pick up on things that they do that tell you about their emotional state much faster than anything that they say. Sure. Like how long it takes them to answer you, the exact tone of voice, they use when they're answering you the exact words that they use when they're answering you like if you say if you if you say something they answer with okay that might mean one thing from somebody and mean something completely different coming from your partner right okay in that circumstance might mean uh oh i'm in trouble <laughs> like they're mad about this right and we pick up on those things and these learners are similar they spend a lot of time with their facilitator and so in these cases they start to pick up on when am i going to get a re- you know some kind of acknowledgement and reward or recognition for like, they want me to pick these keys sort of thing. And now I've actually seen little on this because I think that's not a very common way that this looks. I think it's actually almost never because what you'll mostly get is a bunch of random strings of letters and characters, but for some, this has happened. So that was a really long description of that, but I wanted to make sure it was really clear that there is a version of this where again, they're not touching and they're not moving very much, but they are still signaling the person what to type, but in a, in a more roundabout difficult to measure way. 
I think from like just understanding the mechanism behind that, I think it's important to understand that human beings are typically in- incredibly sensitive to changes in the environment. We are incredibly sensitive to small cues that show up. I mean, that is the entirety of the human experience is that if there are cues in the environment, however subtle, we are going to respond to them if we are in some way able to attend to them. And so human beings, like I said, are just incredibly sensitive to reinforcement contingencies, to punishment contingencies, to shaping contingencies. We are subtle to all, like we were highly responsive to those things. So it would make sense that something that subtle, like visual cues, auditory cues, even like a physical cue would be enough to change the way that I type a single letter. And then just to rehash, to redefine those, most of the people who've heard this will uh, have a basic understanding of what that means, but essentially meaning that they'll be sensitive to cues that that signal that what you're about to do is going to get you something you like, cues that signal that what you're about to do is going to get you something you don't like. <laughs> right. And so those those are out there and things that, that guide our behavior. Okay. So I think it's actually really important that we take a moment to describe really quickly why the facilitator could would not know that they're the ones doing the communicating. Sure. I think it's worth doing a whole episode on this because it's kind of a fascinating topic, but it's something called the idiomotor effect. So the idiomotor effect is, is kind of essentially what we've described so far. It is a phenomenon in psycho- a psychological phenomenon where you make some motion unconsciously. And what I mean is you do not deliberately control and you you cannot identify or label that you're deliberately making some movement. And that's called an idiomotor response. And this is actually exactly how a Ouija board works. And you can try it. I mean, honestly, it's kind of an interesting thing to try is to do this where you feel like you're not deliberately making a movement, but you are. And a Ouija board is one of the more sensitive ways that you can do this. Um, I think you could also try this with somebody else where you might... Uh, I, I haven't tried doing this, but they've done some experiments with this. So I'd be worth looking up a way to, to do this experiment yourself, but where you put your hand on someone else and you don't try and guide what they write, but you sort of let them, and maybe type would be the easier way to do this, but you try and let them do the message where you're just trying to like help them, I think, stay on task on the board, even with someone who knows how to type sure, and see the extent to which you can accidentally do this. There's other things I've seen people do where they'll like have a a pen on a piece of paper and you like close your eyes and hold it, like try and hold it still without pushing down very hard. And you end up having some squiggles or something like that. I don't remember how the setups have gone, but there's several studies that have shown really, this is, this is so clearly understood. You'll find this on like basic psych, psych 101 textbooks. This is just an effect that is out there. We will move in a lot of ways without recognizing our movements. I don't think you consciously recognize every time that you blink as an example there's a lot of things we do reflexively and often this is called an idiomotor reflex basically what it is though is that our body responds to very subtle feedback from the environment and we just move in response to that feedback and sometimes we move in symbolic ways because we have such a strong cultural history with things like for example communication and letters and so you will react to what I think is happening with a lot of the facilitators is as they hover around the keyboard, there's a little bit like this letter makes the most sense because it's a vowel and they just typed a consonant. This letter makes the most sense because this is a common consonant that comes after that vowel and it makes sense with a word that could be coming out. And so they're not saying that to themselves, but they're sort of like, they're sort of reacting to this is probably where they're trying to go. Sure. And so it's mostly like, I mean, I just help them sort of push down in these sort of patterns so that they can type out a message because this is probably what you know there it makes the most sense they're trying to land on these letters what they're actually doing is they're just typing for that person completely like completely yeah not none of it is them yeah it's just be predictive text <laughs> yes <laughs> very much so where it's like it's predictive text if you were to go like hey siri write a text message for me just whatever you want right <laughs> or, or right. chat gpt right. chat gpt write a text message for me whatever you want anything you want just whatever go ahead you write want it. yeah in all the, in all things you could just anything anything that works for you yeah that, that's basically it so while you get chat gpt to write a text message maybe some love note to someone in your life like and just say hey write a love note and see how that goes we're gonna go ahead and take an ad break and then figure out what love notes we can write with chat gpt so I think we have covered quite a bit, and I think what we have covered has essentially undone just the general understanding of what facilitated communication is, right? So at this point in time, we can kind of 
clearly say and clearly point to the lack of scientific evidence. However, I think another important aspect of all of this is discussing this concept of human rights and facilitated communication and the people that advocate for its use. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about kind of what this advocacy piece and what this human rights piece looks like. Yeah. Now, there is a balance between discrediting something and supporting a vulnerable population that is looking for help. Yes. And I think that is the challenge that always comes up whenever people discuss facilitated communication, because there is the the conversation that goes along with, I belong to a marginalized group. I should be able to have the right to choose whatever I want to access, yeah. whatever I want to use. And that that's a, that's a fair conversation. Yeah, very important. Super, super important. The problem here is that when you have a situation that is so harmful to the people that are getting involved, where it becomes kind of like a snake oil type of situation, where it becomes where there are proven time and time again, there are better ways to implement what they're trying to implement or better ways to do what they're trying to accomplish, which is get somebody to communicate. We have a wealth of science that says otherwise. There is nothing that says facilitated communication could even compete with what the science says in the world of verbal behavior and communication, I mean, from the world of speech, from the world of behavior analysis, from all those places, there is so much more research that shows better, more effective and more independent ways to teach verbal like communication or like any sort of like communicative repertoire than has ever existed in facilitated communication. Yeah. So we still run that issue of the balance of we have discredited this thing, but do folks have the right to still access this thing if they want to? And that's a challenge that we that we come up with. I don't know that we have like a really clear cut answer. I would say if something is harmful, it shouldn't be accessible. I tend to agree. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And pushing back on this, you know, we're coming at this from like, we've got data to show this and like we're doing these studies. I feel like that comes off as this sort of cold scientist who's not interested in helping people and you just want to like show data to just poo-poo everyone's time and say like things that that do work don't work because you're a jerk and you're not trying to actually do the help and support people. And that is we are 100% coming at this from a position of we want to help these people and doing things that not only don't help them, but could slow down their progress, ruin their lives and exploit them are bad. Yeah. <laughs> we want to help them by using evidence-based practices that are going to get them independence and going to allow them to advocate for themselves as much as feasibly possible and doing things that do the opposite of that are bad. And that's the position that we're coming from. With that position in mind, I want to be really clear about this. We're not saying that there is a singular way that somebody should communicate. We're not going in and saying, this is how somebody should communicate. Absolutely. There's a wealth of ways that people can communicate in all sorts of really rich ways and develop really great communicative repertoires. What we are saying is that this is definitely the wrong way to do it. Yes. This is the wrong way to do it. That's kind of the ultimate thesis of this. There are many right ways to do it from many different disciplines that can teach somebody to communicate really, really well. There are many right ways with lots of emotional support and lots of backing and lots of organizations that are backing that up. There is very clearly a wrong way to do it. And this one is one of the wrong ways to do it. Yeah. And I think uh, we've said this before. I'm going to say it again, that like a comprehensive team of professionals who who use research and data to do this, get, you know, a team of occupational therapists, speech language pathologists, behavior analysts who are on your team who specialize in helping people learn to communicate. They're going to do the most in developing an independent skill set of being able to communicate. If that is by signing, by typing, by speaking, by using an assistive communicative device, that person will be independently choosing the message that they can use to get across. And these professionals are going to help them figure out the method that works best for them. And facilitated communication isn't one of those methods. Like it just isn't. And important to understand those professionals will work with that individual to figure out what's best for them with that person. Like that's what it should be. It should not be the professional coming in and being like, here's how you're going to communicate. It should be, here are some different ways that you could communicate. Which one would you prefer? Which one will work best for you? Involving that person at the center of that treatment planning. Yeah. I want to be mindful of our time, but there's a couple things that we need to unpack. And, and the things I think we need to talk about really quickly are considering 
how do you talk about this with someone when you're coming in as a professional and you're working with a family or an individual and someone on their behalf is advocating for the use of facilitated communication? And the other thing that I think we need to really cover very clearly is what augmentative and assistive communication is and why it's very different. And I want to do a whole episode on that, but just a quick overview of that. And then I think talk about finally is our, our major take-home points is where we are really, if our thesis hasn't been clear so far, where we're landing on this in sort of a big picture sort of way. So let's start with talking about really quickly, if you're a professional going into a situation, then you have an individual who's communicating with facilitated communication or someone who is trying to advocate on their behalf that they use that. And we're going to kind of go at this from the the rights of a human being perspective. So let's say you have a child that is communicating exclusively using facilitated communication. So I enter the picture to work with you and your family on communication goals, community goals, independence, whatever that might be. And I tell you that I am familiar with facilitated communication. I've read some studies. I've reviewed evidence and can add my own personal experience. And I tell you that there is no evidence for facilitated communication and it could potentially be harmful. That seems pretty blunt, seems pretty on the nose. It seems pretty harsh when it's phrased like that, right? Yeah. So, and then I'm the parent, you're coming and you're talking to me and I'm saying, I see the growth that the, my, my, my child is making. I see the evidence of their work. I feel happier. The, the child's feeling happier. This is all great stuff. So like, why are you trying to tell me, why are you trying to take this away from us? Right. And so approaching the idea is a little bit difficult. So what we're saying here in this space is that I know you're using something that you feel is working for you and your family. I know that it looks like this on the surface, right? But it is dangerous and it's a slippery slope and it needs to be stopped. And we can use a different form of communication. What it can sound like is, hey, we need to kill this thing that you're using, even though it's helping you and your family. And instead, you should use this other thing that you aren't familiar with, like, I don't know, man training or something like that to get the same results. I can guarantee that you're not going to get asked to come back. You are not. Nobody's going to be like, hey, you came in and you're trying to change my whole life without considering my emotions and my feelings and my thoughts in this space. So don't bother coming back because what I am doing right now seems like it's working enough for me to have faith in it. Yeah. Now, change the language around in that. The idea is about the same is that it does come across as this way of like, I'm coming in to take away something from you. And so I think what what we would generally recommend, and I, first of all, there are other people who have been doing this dissemination work much more than we have. I've been lucky enough to, to not have to deal with this very directly and not have to be in a position to try and say, to advocate against the use of this. So I think, you know, reach out to, to other professionals who have maybe dealt with this in a way, in that particular way. And and listeners, if any of you have found really effective strategies for helping to have that conversation, we'd love to be able to share that as a piece of, you know, if you write in and let us know, we'll read that so that other people have that information for themselves. I think that would be very helpful. But I think suffice it to say that the way that I would tend to approach this if I had to go in this is to say something like, look, I think we can all agree the goal is independence, Right whatever we're coming from, we want this person to be as independent as possible. And so let's find a way to both measure how independent we're becoming and make sure that we have an effective strategy that is moving toward that independence and that we can put in supports in place that facilitate that transition independence. So if the facilitated communication is being used, how do we move that to the person typing on their own? Right. What are the next steps to get them being the ones communicating that message? And I'd probably advocate for something like here is a strategy where they have these augmentative assistive communication devices where they choose the words they're using with nobody there helping them. Someone's there to like get the message, but nobody's there touching them to, to help them. And we we practice with them moving independently. And then we say, like, now you show me how you do that, where they are they do it completely by themselves. Right. The research is, is, is very clear that we can help them move to complete independence with those systems. And so that would be the way that I think I would go about approaching this is to figure out like our goal is independent communication. So this person can advocate for themselves as much as humanly possible. Here's a way that we can try and do that. Understanding that when you're entering a space where somebody is, and this is true for, I think, any pseudoscientific claims and and any of these like, quote unquote, miracle therapies that come out. This is something that always comes up is that when we come in as practitioners who have evidence to back up what we're doing, a lot of the issue is that you're fighting against emotion. You're fighting against hope. Yeah. And I hate to say you're fighting against it. What you are is you're working from a base where this person has gained hope about this thing and has probably spent some time in this thing with whatever this intervention is and is really looking for something helpful. Yeah. And so when you're coming in and you're telling them, 
flat out that what they're doing is not helpful. And as a matter of fact, what they're doing is harmful. But I know better than you just sound like every other peddler that's coming in with therapy saying, well, they don't know. I know. And that's that's not the great way to go about it. So I think what you were just describing makes more sense. Hey, I know you think this might be helpful. Let's test out a couple other things to see if we can't move in the direction that you want to, which is that shared value of independence, communication repertoires, ultimately a a higher quality of life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, the second part, as I said, that we really need to unpack is making sure we're clear on, we've used this term, augmentative and assistive communication systems, and make sure that we're really clear that why that is so different from facilitated communication. The primary difference is that it's meant to be used independently, and there's a lot of different ways that this could look. There are people who have, who will carry little binders of pictures on them, and they're like Velcro, and they will they'll basically pull off pictures and put them on a Velcro strip, but, and then show it to you and, and to either request something or say something. Sometimes they'll use actual words that they might Velcro off and stick on there. I think that's fairly outdated. There's probably not a lot of people walking around with that anymore. I think most people at this point are using some digital technology like an iPad where they can also go through and they have a categ- different categories of words and they can put together sentences using those words to ask for things. And again, they're, they choose the words that they want to use. They could, of course, type them if they know how to, to type and spell, but often that's English is very difficult to teach to spell yeah. for anybody. I think there are many adults I know who have advanced degrees who have trouble spelling because of our language. So I still can't spell restaurant. <laughs> there, there you go. R-E-S-T-R-O-N-T. That's all you, all you need. Uh, <laughs> But that is a, like they could potentially do that. There's others too. Like there's there's a variety of different assistive technologies out there. But the very important critical feature of them is that the person learns to use them independently, and we're 100% all for that. Yes. Right. That is them with their voice and their choice communicating for themselves. And I think that's an important distinction. Again, when we talk about like giving somebody a voice and autonomy and rights, this is this is the stuff that we're saying. If you want to use a picture exchange communication system of some sort, then go do that. Sure. If you want to use an iPad, go do that. Whatever it is, that makes sense because you're working towards your independent communication with the world around you. Yeah. That is the goal. And I, I don't and I've never met anybody that's like, yeah, you know what this person should have? Less communication. Right. Like I don't know anybody who's ever done that. <laughs> what ends up happening with facilitated communication is exactly that. This person ends up having less communication because all of their communication is occupied by a facilitator who's speaking for them and not giving them a voice and not giving them an opportunity to choose how to express their voice in a way that's meaningful for them, that's going to impact them in the community, that's going to impact them in their environment, and it's going to work for them based on their choice and their rights. That's beautiful, and it's perfect because it segues to, I think, the most important part of this, which is our major take-homes, <laughs> and understand like where I feel like I would land on this. The main thesis of this is that facilitated communication does not work. Not only does it not work, it is often used in place of strategies that do work. So they claim to have be giving communication and voice to these people when in fact they are doing exactly the opposite. Instead of spending time learning to communicate and actually independently communicating, these people are having their voices taken away and replaced by somebody else. It is the facilitator's personality, it is their voice, it is their words, and they are puppeting or they're using this person as a puppet and exploiting them to use their voice to various ends. Usually... And not usually, but in in many, 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 an astonishingly frightening number of instances, it is harmful. It prevents that person from gaining language. It hurts other people around them. It slows down the progress that they would be making. It also takes away their autonomy, their individuality, and their personality. So it is harmful in every single way along that spectrum. Yeah, I think my major take home point with all this is that even knowing that, even knowing that there's no scientific evidence and all that, you're going to have circumstances where it's very easy to, from the outside, look in on a vulnerable population and go, I know what's best in this situation. And I think it's really important to stop yourself from doing that and take a second and listen to the folks that are directly impacted by this. Mm-hmm. The people who can share stories, who can discuss why this is important, and, and hear from people about why communication is so necessary, why augmentative devices are so necessary, and, and really listen to a lot of the value and the impact something like an effective communication system can have. I think it's very easy to, again, think that as a professional, as somebody who studies data, as somebody who's, I think it's very easy to go back and be like, I know what's best. What we do know in this space is that facilitated communication does not work. 
We know that time and time again, and we know that it does not work. And so then our role is to advocate so that the person that we're serving has a voice to choose from things that are going to actually improve their quality of life because facilitated communication will not. Communication will. Independent communication even better. But facilitated communication has not time and time again proven that they can improve somebody's quality of life. Yeah. And the tragic thing about this is not only is this harmful for the people that are around them, for all these allegations of abuse and, and neglect and harm that have come out that were completely uns- unsubstantiated and there is no evidence for, but nevertheless ruin those people's lives. But this can be extremely harmful for the individual who has the facilitator. And not only in the sense that, as I said, that it slows down their progress, but we've seen them be sexually abused by the facilitator because of this. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them die. So lives are at stake on both ends of this. Right. That's not to be dramatic. Yeah, this is not to be dramatic. That actually happened. So it's like the harm goes beyond even just like we don't like this. There is no merit to this whatsoever. And I think it it just has to go away. It just has to go away because it only causes harm. It does no good for anybody. And I'll, I'll share a really quick story that I shared with Shane off, off of Mike at some point along this of an experience I had around this a little bit. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I feel like the gist of it's important. The story was, I've been familiar with facilitated communication for a very long time. I mean, the very first time I heard of it, I was like, what? <laughs> that sounds wild. Yeah. When someone was just like, oh, you put a keyboard in front of them, all of a sudden they can communicate. Um, and then, of course, found out it was someone else typing for them. And then I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, I went to a conference once. I'd already known about what this was. I had finished a talk and walked into the tail end of another talk. And there was a video playing that had an individual who clearly had some delays. And there was someone who was helping them type on a keyboard. And there was a message board, uh, an online message board for this conference. And I posted the message board, just walked into this talk, is this facilitated communication? And I'm, again, not going to go into super great detail, but what happened was people got very upset with me asking that question. They took down my post and I was cornered by the presenter of that talk and who I had a a little bit of a discussion with. Suffice to say, they landed on the conversation because I I said, you know, the facilitated communication doesn't work. And she said it did for this kid. And to me, that's like saying sometimes a Ouija board does effectively communicate with ghosts. Sometimes rubbing a lamp does result in a genie coming out. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Right. Either of those things. Rubbing lamps does not cause genies to come out or teapots or neti pots because, you know, lamps you know, provide light. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Using a Ouija board does not communicate with the dead. Facilitated communication does not work for people to get better independence of communicating. Like those are equivalent things in all the same ways. So like that is not a statement that one makes. That was a story. And I I was flabbergasted that someone wouldn't even, even say that to me. That's where we're at though. Like that was not that long ago that this happened to me just a few years back now. So Anyway, I think that's mostly what I have to say about facilitated communication. I'd say this is a dangerous thing that needs to go away, and it has no place in our society. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's completely reasonable. Great. All right. Well, in that case, it's time for some recommendations. Recommendations! Recommendations! Okay, I am recommending a TV show. It actually wrapped up uh, a few months ago, I think now. But this is Rick and Morty Season 6. I was obviously been watching Rick and Morty based on my references. But Rick and Morty Season 6, if you are into this kind of humor, for those people who don't know, this is a cartoon, very adult humor, lots of swearing and violence and very adult themes and topics. They get pretty dark in parts of the season, but it's still really good storytelling, very funny in its moments. I think it has a lot to say about various things. So it's, it's uh, always interesting ideas. And I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy the show very much. So Rick and Morty season six does not to say that I'm endorsing, endorsing anything about the writers or the creative team as individuals <laughs> behind this. I know Good there's call. been some controversy there, but just to say that as a piece of entertainment that has been delivered, I do find joy in that particular TV show. All right. All right. I appreciate that. Good. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. It's, I mean, I love Rick and Morty. It's, it's hilarious. Like, it's such a funny yeah. show. 
Yeah. So my recommendation is a local eatery. It's a place called Evolve Modern Vegan Kitchen. And it is a tiny little hole in the wall that is in the party central of Daytona Beach, Florida, on the party strip known as Seabreeze. Seabreeze Avenue, which is where our nightclubs and our strip clubs and our real, only really good Irish bar exists. It's kind of tucked away. It's across the street from an old venue that we used to play at where a woman would come and dance like a snake during our hardcore sets and stuff. And it was really wild. It was a Fine. very strange time. A very strange place. But... Evolve Modern Kitchen, it, it's it's all vegan junk food, and it's fantastic. It's like nice. fried chicken sandwiches, pulled pork sandwiches, like smash burgers, nacho fries, like that kind of stuff. Like all vegan. The buns are vegan. I, I mean, the sauces are great. I mean, it's it's a really it's just really good bar food essentially, and it's done with the vegan twist. Yesterday, I had a buffalo chicken sandwich that had pickles and it had coleslaw, and it was covered in buffalo sauce and ranch and mayonnaise and all the stuff that goes along with it, and it was. Delicious. Ah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Very good. All right. Well, we ran a little bit long, but I think it was necessary. This concludes our facilitated communication trilogy. As always, if you have something to say about this topic, if you'd like to tell us about a, a vegan kitchen that you're fond of, a restaurant or a TV <laughs> show that you you like, we're interested in hearing those things. But definitely, if you have something to say about your experiences with working with a team of people where someone is advocating for facilitated communication and you would like us to share that message, please reach out to us. You can reach us directly at info at www.wwd podcast.com or all on all the major social media platforms except for Twitter and you can also reach out to us for other things too. We're currently running a campaign if you would like to support the show. Once we get up to 15 Patreon supporters, we're going to do a virtual hangout with y'all if you would like to meet us and talk to us. We're just going to jump on like a Zoom or some Facebook hangout or something where people want to are comfortable and would like to chat with us and it's just kind of just yeah. we'll just talk about things. We usually spend a good I don't know, hour just chatting before the show about random stuff where we have fun. It's just a good time. And I think we're yeah. both pretty funny people, especially Shane. I think you're funny. Thanks. It should be it should be a good time. And the people who are already on that bandwagon headed toward Hangoutville is Amanda, Brad, The Daily BA, Joshua, Justin, Kelly, Kim, Layla, Megan, Mike M, Mike T, Olivia, and Stephanie. Thank you all so much for joining us and for your support and your help and allowing us to make the show the thing that we do. If you would like to be a part of that group of people, we're almost up to 15 and we're trying to do this by June. If we get up to 20, then we'll do an even more structured hangout event where we do like games and or something like that or you know a Q&A type thing or I don't know we'll, we'll figure it out when, when we when we we'll cross that bridge when we get there I guess sure yeah perfect also I definitely need to thank my team of people who make this happen a special shout out to Patrick who helped us put together the notes for this this was a really big ask a big lift if you will that Patrick took on so much appreciation and thanks to him for his work on on helping us put together this episode for sure it was great I, we loved it yes of course thanks to Selena and Jess our other team members here. Thanks to Justin for all of his audio work and amazingness in recording these episodes. And of course, thank you, Shane, for recording with me today. As always, thank you for having me. The other ways you can support us, I haven't mentioned, you can go to our merch store. You can leave a rating and review, like, and subscribe, all those things. I, I don't think I mentioned that. At the beginning of the episode, is there anything else that I missed here that we need to wrap up or that you'd like to say before we close out, Shane? No, I think that covers it. Perfect. All right. Thank you all so much. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.